What's going on? Um, if I haven't met you yet, I'm Sam. Um, I'm going to be continuing our series on First Peter. The topic is living as foreigners, lessons from First Peter. Uh, we're still in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking from verse 13 today. Um, so before we start reading through that, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit to be at work in our hearts, to be giving us understanding and be changing us and help us to be able to gaze on your character and learn more about you and let that be sculpting and changing who we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to open up your Bible or flick open your um, Bible app, we're reading from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this was the word that was preached to you. In preparing this uh, message, I was confronted because the, the big topic is about holiness. And I was trying to think, what are things in Australian society or in wider society that we treat as sacred, as holy? And there's, there's not a great deal. As we kind of live in a society where there's not much that's treated as sacred. But one thing that maybe we do is sport. And I don't normally like using any sort of um, AFL illustration or anything like that because it, it leaves a lot of people out. But a few months ago, and I'll try and de-identify this as much as possible, I was in Melbourne and I have a mate that works for the AFL. And he had just been uh, interstate uh, at this big AFL event. They'd been playing a few games interstate. And one of his jobs was actually to carry the AFL Premiership Cup around. And they were, they were putting it on display for a whole lot of people, um, like people who come through and, and hold it and take photos with it, but they'd have to wear gloves and it was all shiny and they'd have to polish it after anyone touched it. And anyway, I go to my mate's house and he's just come off a plane and brought all his luggage home and the, his boss had told him, can you just take this home for the night and bring it back to work in the morning? And it's this big black box uh, which he unclips and we open up and there's the 2023 
AFL Premiership Cup. Um, and we're both looking at each other thinking, oh, you know, something like that sacred, that revered by all of society, we probably shouldn't touch. But we eventually, we prod around and eventually started posing. <laughs> um, we did wipe it down and clean it. Um, but that's going to be the exact same one that you see at the end of this month, actually. Um, but it's one of those things where it's actually a little bit of a letdown. I mean, it, you wouldn't believe it, but it's actually made of plastic. And there was a big crack along the handle as well, which we didn't cause. But it's like a lot of things that we might think of as sacred. The closer that we get to them, the closer we look at them, a lot of idols and things that we hold up in great reverence, the more we understand the more flawed and failed we actually realize they are. But there's one exception to that, um, which you can guess, is when we look at God and look at God's holiness. Because holiness is a key characteristic, key characteristic of God. It's something that we need to understand to understand God. Uh, it's a word, holiness, that we, kind of, we were just discussing. It's kind of lost a lot of its meaning in the in modern society, it's often looked down on. It's like applied to people who are self-righteous, being holier than thou. Uh, it's not something you want to be. You don't want to be holy. But biblically, it actually has a lot more significance that we've probably forgotten as a society. Because holiness is talking about this absolute moral purity of God. And it's talking about this huge distance between humans and God, between his perfection uh, and his righteousness, and his goodness, and then humans. Because God isn't just perfect and good, he's the actual source and the standard of all goodness. Um, and because he's so good and because he's so holy, there's actually a level of danger in approaching God. Uh, this morning I was actually chatting to Ben here about how we can define holiness, and he was talking about this time when he was swimming just recently in a lagoon on the top end and it's surrounded by like beautiful scenery and it's awe-inspiring but at the same time there was crocs there and you're scared and that's a bit what it's like when you think about God's holiness. It's awe-inspiring uh, and it's beautiful and but at the same time it makes us tremble uh, and is fearful. And it's such a key attribute of God that comes out in scripture um, that I think um, this quote from R.C. Sproul explains why it's so important. Only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy. He defines holiness through his own character and who he is. And that's one reason why tonight's passage is really difficult, because in it, Peter is telling Christians to be holy. He's telling us to be like God. And we need to ask ourselves, can we actually be holy? Is it possible for humans to reach 
holiness. Because if we're commanded to be holy, does that mean that we can save ourselves, that we can reach this level of holiness that makes God happy? Well, that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at, at tonight because the first thing that we're looking at is verse 13 in tonight's passage where Peter commands Christians to be holy. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, this is important that he starts the sentence with the therefore, because if you flick back over the previous few verses and what Chris was talking about last week, it's, he's, talk, he's saying therefore because of what we've just been talking about. And one of the things that he's been talking about is salvation and uh, how we come to know Christ. And he's saying in light of this, this is how you're going to live. And he says specifically, in light of this, you're going to live with minds that are alert and fully sober. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be alert and fully sober? He's talking about not getting caught up in, in hypes and trends and whatever's going on in the world and whatever's popular and not just being tossed around by uh, what, what the world is telling us to do. He's also telling us to be, to be resolute. He's not saying be emotionless. If you also look back in previous verses, in, in verse 8, he's told us to, uh, or talked about the inexpressible joy that we have from knowing Christ. So he's not saying be stoics and have no emotion, but he is saying we need to be resolute and alert and aware of the world and how it's going to be pulling us away from Christ. And then he goes on to say that instead of getting swayed by these things of the world, we need to set our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's telling us to set our hope on an objective event that's going to happen in the future. He's not saying just, you know, if you're feeling great, that, that means your faith's going really strong and God loves you. And if you're feeling down, you're probably not following Jesus well enough. You're not doing everything that you should be. He's saying, no, we're setting our hope on an objective event that's not going to be determined by the ups and downs of our daily life and our daily emotions. We're looking forward to this event where we've gotten a taste of God's grace now, but it's going to be more fully revealed when Jesus Christ comes back. It's an objective grounding in a future event that we're looking forward to. So in verse 13, that's what, he tells, that's what Peter is telling us that we should be doing. Looking forward to that. And then in verse 14, he tells us what not to do. Where he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And this is going to be different for every individual. Because in coming to Christ, it's inevitable that we've got some sort of sin that we've got to give up. Um, or something that uh, has been our idol that we're following instead of Christ. And that's what has to be put to death when we come to Christ. And then when we're following Jesus, there's going to be all these other things that we're still going to be battling. It's not a sudden, sudden case of sin disappearing and, and we don't need to battle it anymore. But he's saying that whatever it was that we used to follow, whatever we used to conform to, whatever evil desires we had, whether it was greed or lust or power or selfishness or whatever it is, we need to abandon that, leave that behind us. And that's how he's telling us to be holy by 
setting our hope on those things in the future by being alert and fully sober, and then by not conforming to these evil desires. So he sets this bar really high. So he says, we're called to be holy. And then we can ask Peter the question, why should we be holy? Uh, Verse 15. But just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter was writing to people who knew the the Old Testament, the the Jewish text. In fact, he's referring to the the Greek translation of the, the Old Testament. And he's referring specifically to this quote from Leviticus 11 verse 45, which says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And he's referring to that, and it's quite important, the order that that verse is laid out. Because it's, it's a verse which is saying, in the Leviticus verse, who God is, that he's saved his people, Israel, out of Egypt. And then he says, I've saved you, now be holy because I am holy. He hasn't said, because you are so holy, because you did such a good job, I saved you out of Egypt. And in the same way, Peter isn't saying to the Christians now, because you're so holy and because you're doing such a good job, then God's going to save you. It's really key, the order that this is laid out. I bought you out of Egypt, therefore be holy. And that's the same for us today. We're saved from our sin. We're saved through Jesus. Now we can live holy lives. We're not saved by pursuing holiness. We're saved so we can pursue holiness. I'll say that again. We're not saved by pursuing holiness. We're saved so we can pursue holiness. And that's a really essential point to understanding the gospel. Uh, that it's in that order. That we're not saved because, our, because of our own holiness. And that's one reason we're pursuing holiness. We're saved to do it. But also... Peter gives us a few more reasons to be pursuing holiness. Uh, Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We're all going to be judged by the father one day and we're going to be judged impartially. So we're not going to be judged in comparison with everyone else. We're going to be judged on what God's given us and what circumstances we've been in. And that is the standard that God is going to be judging us. Um, But it's also quite a scary standard because we've just seen in the verse immediately above 17, in verse 16, what that standard is. He's just told us to be holy like God is holy. He's saying that the way that we're going to be judged and the standard that God is looking for is holiness, absolute moral perfection. And if we ask ourselves, if I ask myself, am I holy? Have I lived without any impurity in my life? Um, Am I completely sinless? I think all of us know that we've fallen uh, very very far away from that standard that has been set. We're all tainted and corrupted by sin. But thankfully, Peter doesn't just leave uh, the the story there because verse 18 goes on. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's not through our pursuit of holiness and us reaching this level that we're saved, but verse 19, but it's through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And he's talking about Jesus being the perfect sacrificial lamb there. Uh, without blemish or defect means he's absolutely perfect. He's holy. He is completely sinless. He's everything that we aren't. And it's only through him that we're redeemed. It's only through him that we're made holy. So it's not through our own efforts. It's through what Christ has done. It's through what the, the precious lamb, the lamb without blemish or defect, it's only through him and being clothed in his holiness that we're made holy. And then Peter explains this isn't just some afterthought of God. In verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God had this plan from the very outset. He knew that we weren't going to be holy. He knew that we were going to fail this perfect standard. But he also had Christ chosen from the creation of the world. From before we came into existence, he had the solution for us to be clothed in Christ's holiness. And then we see that this, this hope in the future is also grounded in not just this fullness of grace that's coming in the future, but verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and our hope have this object, objective grounding in the God who brought Jesus back from the dead. We know through the resurrection that death has been defeated and that God's conquered the grave. And so our hope is based on the, on the resurrection, that we too are going to have life beyond the grave. So we've seen, firstly, that Peter's calling us to be holy, calling all Christians to be holy. We've seen why we should be holy, because we're saved to pursue holiness, because we're going to be judged impartially by God, and because we have this objective hope in the future. But then another question, how do we show holiness? How do we know that we're clothed in Christ's holiness? How do we know that we've been made holy through him? Verse 22, now that, you, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one, one another deeply from the heart. Now, if you have a look at that verse, it might be a little bit off-putting because it kind of seems to be saying you've been purified by obeying the truth. So is it possible that we can be purified by or saved even or made holy by our obedience? But we know that that can't be the case based on what we've just seen in the previous verses when we're redeemed only by the blood of Jesus. So we know Peter's not talking about our salvation status before God. He's not talking about how we're saved. He's talking about how through obedience we can be refined to be made more like Christ. We can be refined to be showing that holiness of Christ. And what he's talking about is, it's a big word, but he's talking about the process of sanctification. And that means the, the process of letting the Holy Spirit change us, sculpt us to be more like Christ. 
Because if we're saved and we don't progress anymore and become more Christ-like, are we even saved? We're purified through obedience, but we're saved and cleansed and redeemed through Jesus. And then after that, there's this steady process of purification, our sanctification. And so how does that show itself? How does it show itself? Well, we, if we finish off the verse, um, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So the, the clearest sign of this purification, um, of our own sanctification, is actually through our love for one another. Uh, Peter's saying this is the main sign of salvation, is our love for one another. And he's not talking about just giving a smile or being nice to other believers. He's talking about a sincere love that comes from the heart. He's saying this is the defining feature of someone who follows Jesus. The defining feature of a Christian is their love for one another. And I know that that might feel even a little bit challenging because we can all think of, I'm sure, Christians who are squabbling amongst themselves or um, stupid squabbles that might happen amongst a church or even personality clashes that might happen or side comments that you might make about a certain denomination or other church. We even despise and mock people that we don't agree with, you know, all their theology or how a church is structured. But Peter's saying that the main sign of a Christian is our love, a genuine deep love for other believers. So why is that the sign? Why is that the sign that Peter is saying, this is what defines someone as a Christian? He explains a little bit in verses, from verse 23. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Saying that Christians have been born again. So they're not in this perishable seed anymore. They're now in this imperishable seed. He's saying we've gone from living in this existence where we're guaranteed death and we're living in death to this eternal life. He's saying that humans who follow Christ are now part of this enduring word of the Lord, that they are now eternal beings. And that's what we see in Christ. We now have eternal life. We're beings that are going to exist forever because of what Christ has done through the resurrection. And these are the people that Christ loved enough to die for. And that's why he's saying you've got to love each other, love your brothers and sisters in Christ because these are the same people that Christ died for and has given eternal life to. Uh, That's one of the big reasons why we're called to deeply love and care for each other. That's who we're called to love. So some questions for us all then. Um, How how does this change how we think or what we do or uh, how we feel? Here's some thoughts about how God's holiness and our pursuit of holiness might change what we do in our lives. The first one we can ask ourselves What do you rely on for salvation? And it's important to ask this probably both consciously and subconsciously because I know if you're 
raised in the church or if you go to church for a long time, you can consciously give the right answer and be like, yeah, I'm relying on Jesus and his death and that's what saves me. But I know a challenge for me and probably for a lot of other Christians is subconsciously you just start thinking, oh, well, I'm really good at my church attendance. I'm really good at caring for other people and I read my Bible and pray a bit. I might be subconsciously relying on that. So we've got to be honest with ourselves and examine what am I actually relying, relying on for my salvation? Am I relying on Jesus and him only, on his sacrifice? Secondly, and this is perhaps uh, for people who aren't following Jesus yet in their lives. Have you trusted in the Holy Lamb without blemish and defect? Because we can all be redeemed by Christ. He's the Holy Lamb, the perfect Lamb who is completely sinless. And through Him, we can be made holy and without blemish as well. He died for us and uh, He and through his death, through his sacrifice, we too can have all of our sin washed away and be completely clean. If we believe in Christ, we'll be redeemed. And it's not based on our own holiness, but only on the holiness of Christ. Third, are you leaving behind evil desires from when you didn't know Christ? So every believer is going to have some sort of battle with sin and something that might be a hangover from when they used to not be following Christ or something that's come up um, throughout their time following Christ because Peter talks about elsewhere how Satan is a crouching tiger that's always out to try and get us um, or crouching lion. He's trying to drag us away from from, uh, the true hope and the love that's found in Jesus and it's going to be sin that's dragging us away. So are we battling sin in our lives? Am I battling my greed, my slothfulness, my lust, my apathy? Uh, Am I putting sin to death in my life? And fourth, are you pursuing holiness? And not just pursuing holiness as a way to be holier than thou and be better than others, because we've seen that, I hope we can see that that's quite sinful and that's misunderstanding the gospel. Because any holiness that we have only comes from Christ. It's not based on ourselves. But Christ has redeemed us. And now, through the Holy Spirit, are you being transformed to be more like Christ? Are we showing that we're different? Are we showing that we're distinct from the rest of the world? That we're set apart? Are we pursuing holiness? And then finally, do you have a sincere love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there a relationship with someone at the church that you need to repair or with another believer that you need to repair? Um, Or is there other ways that you can be showing love to other believers that you haven't been taking advantage of? Are you showing hospitality? Um, Are you showing care for people who are vulnerable and needy uh, or lonely? How are you showing your love to other people through words and actions? And I think this is a very easy way for Christians to be quite distinct from the rest of the world because uh, we might slip into what the world does with a bit of cancel culture these days and all it takes is one person to have done one thing wrong and we don't want to have anything to associate with them. So it could be like a whole denomination thinks something so we, don't, we just cast them all aside and we don't consider them believers. 
or there's a preacher who said one thing we don't believe in and we, we don't even consider them to be our brother and sister. We can't just cancel our brothers and sisters in Christ when we're called to love them. Um, they're our brothers and sisters and we have to love them sincerely. That doesn't obviously mean accepting sin or anything, but we are called to love and that is the main sign of us being saved ourselves. We love them sincerely because we're all redeemed and worship the same holy God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Holy God, we acknowledge that we are impure and that without Christ we are unable to approach you. We acknowledge that your perfection is far beyond any of us and that we're are fallen beings that fail to live up to your standard. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for Christ and his holiness and his redemption and that through him and through the sacrifice of the, the lamb without blemish that we can be clothed in his holiness, that we can approach you and that we can even call you Father. Lord, we thank you for that and we ask that you would help us to live transformed lives, to live lives that are pursuing holiness and lives that are pursuing you and lives that are showing that through our love for each other. Lord, please let your spirit be filling our hearts to, to show that love to each other and demonstrate and, and speak that to each other. But Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.